Film Fight Club. Film Fight Club. Welcome to what? What are we? Who are we? Jurassic on? Club. Jurassic Club. Oh my God, that's the, probably the next movie. This is not Jurassic Club. This is Film Fight Club, coming to you with all the best things in movies and all the most mediocre, if, if the week may have it. Yeah, all the all the average, tw- all the great 2015 films they made average sequels to. I, I think it's the post Sydney Film Festival sort of lull, where you suddenly realise, oh my God, this is what normal people see. You know, I mean, not saying that you guys are like not normal. You might see festivals. We're not movies, normal, but we're definitely we're not, normal. not normal. Yeah, yeah. This, this is the third of our forty-eight annual non-Sydney Film Festival episodes. So yeah, thank you for <laughs> us. yes, and we are. So this, I'm like after like fifty odd films of Sydney Film Festival. Like it took me a while to sort of readjust my body to be like, ah, oh, this is the standard I should be like aspiring to. But, like, man, Incredibles 2 is just, like, ice-cold water to the face coming out of Sydney. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, like... I mean, that readjusted expectations. (laughs) Everything, every film this week, I enjoyed more than Incredibles 2. It's such an ironic title, Incredibles 2. Nothing incredible about it. Yeah, I think it it wasn't Incredible 2. It was just... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Send your hate mail to to SER. But uh, Incredibles enjoyed Incredibles 2. Care of Chris Evans, Care of me, yes, yes. So... We should introduce ourselves. Yes, Roos, the writer and critic, and myself, Glenn Falkenstein from Falcon Screen. Look, I love to receive hate mail because that makes me feel important. So please address it to me. <laughs> oh dear, the pigeonhole is just going to be chockers tomorrow. So, well, at least you know you would think here's another you know not a white critic, but at least. A token honorary, honorary white man, oh. Brett Nehru. Honorary. Oh, well, that's how we're going to introduce you from now on. There we go. <laughs> getting, getting controversial here in the first few minutes of Film Fight Club. Now, we are talking about movies this week. We'll be talking later in the program. About are we really? Well, oh, it's just <laughs> movies. <laughs> movies, films, no. no. What even is this? I don't believe you. Let's Moving do pictures. The time warp okay. again. So, one of them is... Sicario 2, Day of Soldado. But the f- one we're leading with is... Is Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, which we should note that we are all talking about in our podcast, which is subscribed to Foxtrot, which is probably the best of the three. Which doesn't say much because all three of them are kind of like, eh. So for the so, uh, <laughs> just to get you excited about what's to come, yes, feel the enthusiasm brimming from Film Fight Club. Yeah, we will be talking first about Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom, which is the not only the sequel to the 2015 average film, but the fifth fourth <laughs> sequel to the what, 25 years now the original Jurassic World, Steven Spielberg's the original Jurassic hit. Park. Jurassic Park. What am I saying? Oh, well, the, yes, the, the much better film. Jurassic yeah. Park, Jurassic World, Lost, Lost World, World, and then Fallen Kingdom. Fallen which King- sounds like, like a, what is going on? Like synonyms for the Lost World, kind of, doesn't it? Well, it is the same movie. So yeah, same appropriately movie. enough. Yeah, we we like. I mean, the first Jurassic World film was very derivative of the first Jurassic Park film, and this is very derivative of that. In turn, there isn't much new by way of plot. They return to Island Nublar for reasons to get dinosaurs who are now facing a new extinction level event because of a volcano with liquid hot magma. So the U.S. government makes a very smart decision, as informed by everyone's favorite stuttering scientist. Ian Malcolm, played by Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum in, returning is yeah, the best thing about this But he's movie. basically just in cameos sandwiching the, the film, saying, like, just just get away from the dinosaurs, which is yeah, smart The Goldblumathons is what I would call it. The Goldblumathons. 
uh, yeah. Is, yeah, he's doing a lot of interesting Nostalgia stuff. Nostalgia is definitely underway for Jeff Goldblum. But so this movie smartly capitalized on it since he, you know, he's basically just here to cash his paycheck and has nothing to do with the real plot of the film. He literally just yeah sits there as does another very another very major star who also has a small appearance in this movie. Yeah. And we also have the return of Owen Grady, played by Chris. Of course Pratt. we do. Yes, we have we have the return of Owen Grady and of Claire. What's the least face? impressive of all Chris's? Including Chris Evans sitting oh, here. Yeah. And the other Chris Evans from Hollywood. So oh, thank you. I'm a fan of Chris Pratt. I, I will give it to him. Like Chris Pine is my favorite of the Chris's. And we have Bryce Dallas Howard returning as well. You're a Pine nut, are you? Ooh. I, I, I am. He's it's, in a new a bit. Okay, okay. All right. So yes, this they return for reasons to this island, and they Basi- have to. Yeah. Okay. So the reasons are that, like, we can tell how I- invested we are in this plot. Yeah, they return for some reason to do something, and I guess there's a bunch of dinosaurs in it, Maybe, and they eat some people, and that's basically the movie. They, they, I, I did appreciate a T-Rex came back to eat someone again this time but there are other people there is Ted Levine Buffalo Bill from yeah. Silence of the Lambs in his biggest on-screen role in 26 years okay so basically a volcano is going to erupt on the island we, um, killing off all the dinosaurs so they send in the team from the first movie to cash their paychecks and rescue the dinosaurs um, this leads me to my first major pro- criticism with, you know with the script of many of many well actually less than the first film but we'll get to that Claire in this is basically a completely different character. In the original Jurassic World, she was a corporate parody who referred to the dinosaurs as assets, and she had to be constantly reminded by Chris Pratt in his way of patronizing her, as he did throughout that entire film, that they're actually animals. Suddenly, she's done this complete 180 transformation to where we see her at the beginning of the film as an animal rights activist who's getting upset at the prospect of all of these dinosaurs who terrorized her for the majority of the first film being wiped out by a volcano. She didn't learn like Jeff Goldblum, like just just get the hell away from these guys. Yeah, it's like someone who eats meat last week and suddenly turns vegan the next week, and you're yeah. like, "What's going on?" Yeah, it's she's, like, <laughs> but let me discourage that. If that's your if that's your lifestyle choice. <laughs> but look, the, the reason I, the only reason I can see that she has become an animal rights activist is because otherwise I don't think the writers could think of any other reason for her to tag along on this adventure because Owen, played by Owen Grady, right? Played oh, by Chris <laughs> Pratt. Chris Pratt, <laughs> what a movie <laughs> name, right? Owen like Grady. Owen, and, yeah. and I appreciate he wasn't just some random beefcake. He actually wasn't a great guy. And he maintained, at least he maintained his character. Yeah. That's his but, Goldblum. But like, it makes sense for Owen Grady to come along for the ride because he's an animal trainer and that's what you need when you're trying to put a bunch of animals on the ship. Oh yeah, to explain it, the US government smartly decided not to put animals on the ship so an evil private copper oh I shouldn't spoil that they're evil but you know that they are um, course, decide there, there, are shills, to, there are suits you, you, yeah, you know what's happening evil here. corporate people in, in suits decide to send in a private operation to rescue the dinosaurs for what they claim is a operation to let them roam free in a reserve and, in uh, another island yeah, which is like haven't they learned stop Letting dinosaurs yeah. in an island. So there's basically there's no reason else going on. Yeah, there's basically no reason for the manager of Jurassic World for the first one to come along. So they've rewritten her into an animal rights activist so that she can rejoin Chris Pratt on the adventure. And you know, it is actually quite an adventure to start with. I had a hell of a lot of fun with the first half of this film. I'm amazed, Chris, that you remember Chris's. No, not Chris's. I mean Chris Pratt. Sorry, there's only Chris's around. Anyway, Chris Pratt's actual full name in this movie, Owen Grady, because I read a Twitter thread where you know, which is like, you know, can you name Chris Pratt's full name in Jurassic 
world movies and nobody could name it. It was just like Owen, Owen, like Owen what? Yeah, and Owen, then yeah, Owen so Seven. Owen Grady. That's that's. It's not look. It's a it's a very memorable movie name. I would say in like in, in its bland. Well, it's may- maybe memorable is the wrong word, but it's got that like bland. Ch- you can just see yeah. the chisels in the face yeah, and, the, and the chest when you hear it. I'm to be yeah. but um, like it's Grady. not, it's it's not like... the best movie name I've heard recently. That's a cake is taken by Gray Trace from Upgrade. <laughs> oh, what a, what a movie! What a movie! Yeah, that yeah. was good. We do recommend you seek that out. But, but yeah, the the first half of this film I found incredibly fun. Yeah, I, I agree, and it's actually fun in the sense that they allow that kind of chaos to actually take control and it's not scripted to that degree and it's, the possibilities that the first half leaves open are very interesting and I really felt this could go on in different tangents as to where it didn't choose to explore and I was very disappointed when the second half became this completely generic thing because I was thinking and not to spoil anything but you know the, after the first half I was thinking this could be a Moby Dick kind of adventure and nothing happened Nothing. I actually like the second half more of this film. The first half was so avowedly repetitive and derivative and relatively dull. There are a few amazing set pieces. I like dinosaurs. Dinosaurs are cool. But in the second half, when it suggested some dark inferences, this film has this incredibly bad sin of retconning the original film in a very poor way. No one takes Jurassic Park seriously. (laughs) But but this this thing This is nostalgia now. You know, you just reference the original in a way and people have probably forgotten about it, but this is the thing. It's re- really it, sad. It, it brings up. I probably have. I know they would love to get some of the original actors back for this one, as we were, Chris and I were talking about earlier. But the second half, in terms of how they use genetics, alludes to some very dark aspects, which are teased out in the final act. The final act, the final twenty minutes, is actually really good. But they weren't willing to explore this they, because simply they wanted dino action, and the dinosaurs are cool, and it's cool to see them tumbling off a cliff and doing this. And I just wish they had more animatronics because I missed. There those. are actually more animatronics in this one than in the first film. I noticed quite a few times in the close-ups, um, when especially when the animals aren't moving around a lot. It is it is animatronic, so I did appreciate that. The other thing which surprised me was like the marketing material, the teasers, made it seem like this was going to be somewhat bordering on horror tropes, and yet the film is nothing like that. No, but That's you can't you can't get angry with uh, marketing for I think for misleading you. It's it's what they're paid to do. As but I know, I know, I know. World, like, you know, the Lost I, World was much is very similar material and much more of a like dark horror slant. I agree, and, and you know, there's much more gore happening in in that movie. And this movie is just child's play. Okay. Um, like Chucky. Uh, with what Glenn was talking about, uh, the second half of the film, I do appreciate that this film actually has themes and characters, which are the things that were missing from the first Jurassic World movie, Lousy which movie. was basically <laughs> only interested in following dino action, would introduce characters and subplots, and then toss them aside willy-nilly. This one sticks to a core group of characters and develops actual thematic material um, especially in the second half of the film. So I appreciate that. It, to some extent, it is a real story, but I think it, I agree with Virat that, and with Glenn that in the second half it does become repetitive in sort of throwing this away for dinosaur action that at this point is basically a rehash of what we've seen in um, The Lost World and even even in the first Jurassic Park movie just we've watching Rampage yeah. get a, get a suit in by T-Rex yeah. it's and cool we've, but we've seen we've it we've seen rampaging dinosaurs around in small enclosed locations in the climax of the first Jurassic Park film and this is basically a higher budget rehash of that now with more CGI some direct references to the first film by the way very yes. blatant the one reason that I appreciated the first half of the movie is that it, it wasn't taking itself seriously um, it was basically just a romp it had the real anything can happen B-movie silliness of just one um, giddily staged 
action set piece after another leading in a chain reaction, which I really appreciated. I feel like if the movie had just ended when they leave the island, it would be like action movie of the year. And it's interesting in that sense where you're alluding to genetics and what brings me up Chris's earlier point, or I think you were talking about this, I think a couple of weeks ago, maybe where, you know, what if, there were there was concept out around oh yeah hybrid things hybrid happening. dinosaurs and humans and the Indoraptor the new one yeah and this movie they, is actually borrowing do, from that old Jurassic they do Park explore Florida. that but also in the most boring way like you know there's yeah. something really dark and something exciting about you know half human half dinosaur things that could really be cool oh I'd I'd be very keen for yeah. that film guys they, look up they, Jurassic Park four yeah. concept art listeners and everyone here in the studio with me if you want to see some freaky half human half dinosaur stuff but this is the thing could have been the, we talked I criticized Solo a couple of weeks ago because it teased a better film for the ensuing one the ending for this we're not going to ruin it but the concept introduces which will inevitably be part of the sequel is really fascinating and something, that should have been the movie it's something that Spielberg wanted to do back when he was directing Jurassic Park movies it's something that's really been a long time coming so why didn't we move directly to that instead of going through a rehash of what's yeah. been done before. But isn't that, once again, The Lost World? Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, but, uh, the we're, ending so we're not going to say more because yeah. Yeah. we'd be Under, giving the whole thing away. Look, this, this the Lost World is the best Jurassic Park movie. Ooh, Ooh cool. the, the original is still the best. I like Lord Lost World. Laura Dern is wonderful. And you know what? Jurassic Park 3, actually. I've said no. before. <laughs> Underrated. <laughs> no. And I know there was a dinosaur saying, Alan, and it was very frustrating. Oh, yeah. One more thing about this movie. Um... The script is way less dumb somehow than the first Jurassic World. Oh, excuse me, sir. Excuse me. There is a line in this film where Chris, someone says, once they're on the island, it's hot. Chris Pratt, I'm quoting here, turns to the volcano and says, yeah, it's about to get hotter. But so, maybe, look, that's, that's pretty tame as far as bad action movie one liners go. I think part of the reason why I wasn't bothered by that scene, and it could be part of the reason why this film was an improvement on the original, is that Colin Trevorrow is not directing. Um, this time he's written the script <laughs> as he did last time with his writing partner Derek Connolly but it's directed by J.A. Bayona who directed The Orphanage and The Impossible mm-hmm. and our film fight club uh, favourite A Monster Calls oh, being our, that yeah. was yeah I didn't yeah. make a connection um, but now yeah, less did to this film even more but, 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 um, it's, but it's okay like you know they got Brie Sellers Howard out of her heels and into like proper oh, shoes okay wow so. wow okay yes uh, okay on this the very first image of Bryce Dallas Howard in this film is we're opposed to this stupid Awful controversy a couple of years back. Um, she was wearing. Who cares what she's wearing? You, you're digging she, yourself a bigger hole, Claire. Because um, Chris Pratt makes the first film. I thought was quite misogynistic in a lot of ways. Um, Chris yeah, Pratt, I in a lot of ways, but I'm not. I, I, I'm not going to. But I'm alluding to like, Chris gonna, Pratt is the character gonna, who criticizes. I'm not going to uh, criticize anyone heels. for what they wear. Yeah, but Chris Pratt will. And <laughs> that was the controversy. The controversy actually was wearing it. It was a. It was awful. But was, no, but Chris, Chris Pratt's character in the film made fun of her for wearing heels when she's been she's dressed for a yes, day at the office she's t- not he, he, she's not dressed for running away from dinosaurs and he wasn't t- expecting that and he's a terrible person the film made that pretty clear yeah but he's also like the audience identification figure which is the reason why I feel like these films are you know especially the first film is fairly misogynistic but yeah I, I preferred this script of the second one because the, it's less misogynistic um, it has yes. less head slappingly dumb things coming up like the first film it's hard to get through without just thinking god really about all kinds of plot elements and villains that come up this film basically has internal logic and yeah you know isn't offensively stupid as long as you accept <laughs> that it's a dumb it, it, in a jurassic it accept the internal like, logic yeah, yeah it's dumb in a jurassic park type way but it's not dumb in a like get me out 
get me out of here it's now. Surprising it's surprising that what someone wears for their shoes. It's surprising yeah. that that's the bar we are sort of like settling at. It's yeah, like, well, like, wow, pretty much. Um, one, yeah. One last thing I want to say about this film before we move on to Sicario. Uh, the Sons and Lambs for me was one of the films that really got me into cinema. Ted Levine is a hugely underrated actor, and he has range in this. And Rafe Spall, James Crumb, we haven't even mentioned them. Uh, Toby Jones, who rocks up for a few minutes. Yeah, they're, okay. they're very good in this. As, as himself. But Ted Levine <laughs> is great. I think we'll see more of him following this. Yeah, Toby yeah, Jones. Like, so. what's his point of existence by this point? He just plays himself what's, what's and everything. Character, character like, acting. Yeah. It's just like, oh, look at me, I'm hideous, and I'm right. playing hideous Scary. characters. Oof. Wow, that, that, that's harsh. He's, he's great, dude. He was in Harry Potter. He was um, he was one of the Defense Against the Dark Knight. He, he was in the Sherlock episode, which he is was, the best yes. Sherlock episode from season four. Yes. There were good I mean, episodes from season four. There was. The middle oh, episode yes. was yes. maybe one of the best episodes they ever did. Yeah, it was fair, just sandwiched fair. by two horrible ones. Yeah, fair, fair. Um, he was in Barbarian Sound Studio for the five people who watched that one. No, I was not one of them. But that was Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. It is in cinemas now. The next one we are talking about is Sicario 2, The Day of Soldado, the sequel to the 2015 film. The breakout hit from screenwriter and now director Taylor Sheridan and starring Benicio Del Toro and Josh Brolin. Their second pairing this year following Avengers Infinity War. They had a scene uh-huh. together as the Collector and as Thanos. Right, right. Very, di- very different. I've been settled with the unenviable task of introducing the plot of this one. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, there Does are it have ISIS. One? <laughs> yeah, there are ISIS attacks on American soil, so they declare war on the cartels. <laughs> Al Shabab rocks up at one point. <laughs> it's very confusing. It has no real linear like, context like, in this. You just imagine, like, what kind of amazing dope you must be smoking. Then you're like, you, you're the writer's room sort of idea. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're pitching these ideas. Be like, what if? Hang on. Okay. I, I've got a movie for you. We accept you. Know? But this is the thing. Hang on. All right. Sheridan, he's made three great films in three years. Look, as soon as I heard the idea that there was going to be a Sicario 2, I thought, that sounds completely unnecessary. Uh, this is really a producer-driven film and voila um, basically at the same time though the first five minutes convinced me that I could be wrong yeah I was like maybe this could be an interesting movie it's tense the new director Stefan Solima is that his name I think so yeah um, Stefan we're always doing our research here on Film Fight Club (laughs) Um, yeah Stefan Salima, is that correct? Yeah, look him up. Stefano Salima. We did have a friend from Will Wong, who's here in the studio with us. Happy birthday, Will. Happy birthday, Will. Sydney Film Legend. Sydney Film Legend, yeah. Um, But uh, Shout out to all the Wills in the world. Especially especially this one, who's right here, yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah. So yeah, there isn't really much. <laughs> yeah, way of, I mean, the first okay. one had such an internal. That's logic. right. Yeah. Okay. So to explain it a little better, um, there's a tense sort of um, theater of horror terrorist attack scene at the beginning of this film, scored in an imitation of Johan Johansson's pretty ominous and terrifying score of the original. I just like to know uh, this scenario. film was dedicated to him. He passed Which away very nice sadly last year. Yeah, nice touch. Um, and after that terrorist attack, they say, okay, so how did this terrorist get into the... I know, okay, try and follow this. How did this terrorist get into America? He didn't come in through our borders, which have been nicely secured. <clears throat> I, oh, yeah, that reminds me. I forgot to mention that there are a lot of anti-Trump bobs in in uh, Jurassic World yeah, too. Basically, anyone who's about to get eaten by a dinosaur is a, a surrogate for Donald Trump in this film. Exactly, and... Uh, you know, messing corporations messing with dinosaurs is going to cause our extinction, like climate change. Oh, and there's denial about climate change. Yeah, and the effects jokes of all these about things. that, etc. And and uh, someone being called 
a nasty woman by one of the Trump surrogates. Yeah, but also, like, I'm kind of sick of these kind of throwaway political films trying to be political to gain some kind of brownie points. We'll discuss this more on the podcast when we get to Foxtrot. Yes. But, but anyway. Uh, but back to Sicario, yeah. Which so, also tries to be political for no reason. Exactly. Hey, well, I guess we'll discuss it now. Um, <laughs> after this terrorist attack... The governments <laughs> follow this logic. <laughs> the governments say, how did the terrorists get into the United States? The cartels must be people, people smuggling now. Uh, that That's surely more lucrative they, than they, they drugs. They set it up a little better than that, but not much. Yeah. yeah. So I therefore, mean, there's the cartels... something in Africa and ships and then back to cartels. Yeah. So basically, the cartels I mean, brought it, a terrorist into America. Even, so they didn't, which isn't really a spoiler true. because it doesn't have much weight on the narrative. So how did they get this yeah. wrong to set up this whole thing in the, the thing to operation is, in the first place? The, the, the opening few minutes of this film is opening to a different, much better film. Yeah. But also that has no bearing because they completely abandoned that premise. Yeah, I they mean, do. And then mid- and midway through the movie, they say, oh, we, it doesn't matter, as I've just said. And, because and then this it, movie the, becomes local. Pre- yeah, the premise has changed. <laughs> So midway through, they say, oh, by the way, the cartel didn't actually smuggle this person into the United States. And But we what? still need a reason to have a war with cartels because the movie is called Sicario 2. So, you, you actually haven't mentioned the most frustrating yeah, the thing plot about is the plot is that it entirely hinges on a terrible coincidence of someone running into someone else who they shouldn't run into in the first 20 minutes. And I mean, that was silly, but I can go with it. Like, oh, no, but it also, too, like, too much too much. Yeah. you just remember that one face... And but the, the my problem with that is that it's so telegraphed. Like when that happened, I'm just thinking I was just waiting for that to happen through the yeah, whole film because it's several stories that intersect. Yeah, and you know at which point and how it is. Going yeah, to intersect. it's super telegraphed enough to remove a lot of the potential tension. A lot of the also I've got to say about this film, a lot of the tension came from this so the Sicario character and two things about him in the first film, not knowing his background and his motivation or who he was and who he was for and who he mm. was who was batting for in this film it is evident from the very beginning so that tension is gone the our emily blunt sorry Oregon surrogate character there's no character like that to reflect our interest and intrigue or any at all for that matter it's a straight thriller which does not have that level of investment that the first one had okay i find this interesting because in the first film emily blunt is kind of the audience surrogate in that she's terrified through a lot of the film. She holds it together pretty well, but she's thrust into this really dark, um, bleak world and holds it together through it. And through her eyes, the Sicario Benicio del Toro is able to become this really mysterious and terrifying presence. This film, because we no longer have Emily Blunt there, he's been made more of the lead character of the film. And in doing that, they've tried to soften him which I think is a, a big mistake. I liked how in the first film he was such an uncompromising and brutal figure. And in this film, you know, he, he's been... Tr- the, I think he's been confronted with the problem of making the audience empathize with him to a lead character um, perspective and he's cheap and Taylor Sheridan is cheaped out in the process. Well, I go further than that. I mean, a lot of the... De- there's a much bigger body count in this film. A lot of the body... The death counts that happened in the first film was a result of the Vinicio del Toro character. But these were figures he got to know that we got to know in this character is introduced and then gone. Introduced and gone. Not just the subplots. 
and mm. his figure, the, the whole moral of the first film, and it was reached a fulcrum in that fascinating final sequence where the gun is trained on one character by another character, which didn't need to say anything. It made its point perfectly. And in this, that is not evident. The moral ambiguity it presents itself at the very beginning, particularly with the discussion with the Secretary of State, but it's kind of thrown out the window at the behest of some several big action sequences, which they want to do at the expense of all else. Yeah. Um, what I liked about this film is how it's directed by Stefano Solima. Um, it is, in a lot of ways, imitative of the way that um, Denis Villeneuve directed the original, replicating a lot of the images, but they don't have the same punch because I think Villeneuve has such a power with images, especially given that he was backed by Roger Deakins. Um, the images in this film... Darius Wolski is no slouch as DP, but the images in this film really don't have the same level of power, but it's still a cut above what we usually get in Hollywood thrillers. And I felt like um, a lot of the ridiculous aspects of the script I was able to gloss over because I feel like the tension was reasonably well sustained from a directorial standpoint. I, I found the movie pretty enjoyable to watch in spite of it being basically ridiculous i enjoyed some of the procedural aspects which fall apart when the procedure stops making sense um but i can enjoy it on that level uh, villanova was uh, supposedly initially involved with the film and backed out later on so i could see the original team reuniting be like what if we do a sequel and then you know villanova was like um oh, this is not that good so it wouldn't I'm gonna... doing other amazing projects too he came off blade runner arrival but yeah, but uh, you, you could see that Taylor Sheridan's script wasn't that exciting and Volnov could just look at that and be like, huh, I'm not putting my name to this. I'm just surprised Taylor Sheridan did this. He came off Wind River and my favorite of his uh, front, uh, Frontier trilogy is Hell or High Water. Why didn't he? He's great at making original content. Why not just make another original Paycheck. film? Yep. Money. Same <laughs> reason that people kidnap the dinosaurs in Jurassic World 2. Oh, right. but also, also now showing in cinemas. Talking of paycheck everywhere. and like terrible writing and everything terrible Donald about Trump, the world references Trump as well. Uh, the music in this movie was completely hammy, really the worst, of the original score. The worst Derivative. thing, but but also like had nothing to do like this kind of Inception like scores, sort of like nah. clamoring, yeah, clamoring through. Except there's nothing that exciting happening on screen. I'm just like, these are hummers just like driving away in the desert. You don't need yeah. that kind of music okay. to, like, what is going on? And it's just so sad and funny in a think, way, really funny. Think of the score from Into Darkness, but not as good, essentially, and uh, used a little bit out of context. Um, one thing I will give to this film, though, is that Del Toro, he's reliably good from the moment they rock up in the Columbia. Are great. The actors are great. And he has, we're not going to talk about Roland's later. Roland, look, he's, he's always reliably yeah. good. But yeah. Del Toro, I mean, there's a pretty outrageous thing oh, that yeah. happens at one point in the film, and he can carry it. He can pull he, it That's off. right. He can make, and the, the direction and Del Toro, I think, sold pretty well an absurd twist. Okay. What what I think, and maybe this is something which is interesting, uh, is that Sheridan was trying to do something which he did with Wind River, but put it in the desert. So Wind River is all about the vastness of the landscape, but in snow, but here is the vastness of the landscape and what makes people do, but in the desert. So it's yep. basically about extremes of landscape and extremes all of weather. All of his films have been about that yeah. so far. Uh, but, you know, here that kind of breeds that kind of mentality and that kind of people who basically do horrible things. But here it's in the desert instead of being in the snow. Except it doesn't have the same impact because 
the setup is just comical. Well, we've seen a lot, and also we've seen a lot of um, movies about people pushed to extremes in the desert. It doesn't have that, the, I guess, the originality of the snow landscape that there was in Wind River, which I would say is one of the main um, strong points of that of that film. But going further with things lacking impact and having been done before, a lot of the action sequences in this film and a lot of the imagery is just replicated from the original. The top-down views of helicopters, convoy, um, ominous convoy sequences that turn into big gunfights between um, cartels and our lead team. Um, the plane imagery looking down on this surreal um, desert landscape shows up again, but it just doesn't have the same impact that it did the first time around we saw it i just don't think the image making is on the same level i don't think so either that is sicario 2 day of soldado it is in cinemas now um, in the following week we'll be talking about two very big films also two big blockbusters that are coming out ant-man and the wasp and skyscraper the new film with the rock however as part of our podcast segment as promised, we'll be talking about Foxtrot. You can get the podcast on iTunes and everywhere. So if you're listening to the podcast, just keep listening. But if you're listening to the radio, then just, you know, just you seek out the podcast. But just for those listeners, in a minute, Foxtrot, what do we have, what do we have to look forward to in this discussion? Virat's going to give us his hot takes on politics in recent cinema. Yes, uh, because look, honestly, I, I just don't understand where we're going politically in this kind of idea that politics is now being shoehorned into narrative and we're just not getting good films. I want to see a good film in and of itself, not because it's a political film per se, but because it's a good film to begin with. I think this film is good, but could have been better. Um, it's definitely the one I'd recommend of the three that we've handled this week. Interesting. Okay. I So it's not, not ones for the big action junkies out there necessarily. Oh, definitely not. Um, it's a very different approach to desert combat to what we see in Sicario 2, Revenge of the Invincible American Soldiers. But still yeah, a lot of that Mexico. Oh, okay. wow. But still yeah. a lot of Trump jokes. So there's something there's some kind of commonality I think theme. Between these three films. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. We talked about the post earlier as the first post Trump film. Now it's just every film. Every film is post Trump. The post um, the post Trump film. Stay tuned for <laughs> the Sonic Assassin. Yes. The, the most misleadingly named man in radio, bringing you gentle, lulling, psychedelic symphonies. I love it. Honestly, I love the it so sexiest much. voice on radio. Yeah. Aside from yours, Farad. This has been, this has been Glenn Falkenstein, Chris Everett, and Rurat Nehru. Have a wonderful night. Enjoy movies. And seek out those 2015 sequels. Or don't. Good night. And we're back talking about Foxtrot. The new film, which won all the offers, which is the Israeli Oscars, essentially. Oh man, I, I've, uh, I've I've really done my research for this one. I'm trying to remember the name of the guy who directed it. I was going to say, yeah, it's a new film from. Uh, the, okay, the, so <laughs> for, for the professionalism, it's the new film. Oh, okay. Uh, okay, technical difficulties. Samuel Mars. Sam, Samuel Mars. Yes, I knew that. I knew that all along. It's okay. I just want to help you a lot, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. I knew you knew it, so I just wanted to like, let of you course, have your mouth. Of course. <laughs> Foxtrot. Uh, yes. So, what is Foxtrot? Foxtrot is a film that opens with a man in Tel Aviv being given. The, his name is Michael, and he's being given the terrible news that his son has been killed. And after this, we move to the desert location where his son was stationed. Uh, it goes in some directions you might not expect. That is Foxtrot. 
But also at the same time, I think a good companion piece to this would be Richard Linklater's uh, Last Flag Flying. Yes, I was uh, thinking uh, of Last Flag Flying a lot watching this. Yes. We have some very similar material in the in the opening and the dialogue that the uh, that Michael goes through with a bunch of faceless military personnel who um, you know treat the death of somebody as a procedure but have been instructed to be emotionally sensitive and clearly have no way of being able to grapple with that. Um, you know, about personal tragedy versus the military machine. Very uh, similar themes. I think in that sense, I think Foxtrot is trying to sort of encapsulate... There, there was a time in political history and also, I think, in our recent times where kind of establishment narratives were supposedly taken as kernel truths or people were used to accept them as, this is why we did why we did those things. And I think, given the times we're living in, it's becoming more and more apparent that we don't buy that logic anymore. And I think, from if you're talking about political films, I think more and more films are exploring this idea about what if this is the official version, and how do you question that in a way that can be engaging and yet make a good film out of it in the end as well. I don't think we've struck the balance yet because I think the questioning becomes heavy-handed or even in some cases the film becomes derailed because the political opinions become too on the nose. Uh, At the same time, I think it's interesting that we are exploring these issues in a very mainstream sensibility and especially the context of this movie and where this is set. It's extremely interesting. Uh... Chris, you want to elaborate on the actual dynamics of uh, the West Bank and the IDF and where this movie goes? And ex- unexpected oh, man. Heavy territory here. Yeah. <laughs> because I actually, Glenn, I, uh, Glenn should see this movie. Yeah, we because you would have, a, you would have a very personal and very different response to it, to be honest. That's what we thought, yeah. Uh, That's what I thought. Yeah, uh, they're referring to the fact that I actually am, will be in Israel shortly and have uh, spent quite a bit of time there. Um, but I am cu- I have not seen the film yet, so I can't comment on it. But I am curious as to what everyone thinks because it is yes, um, getting into some heavy territory. Uh, at the same time, what, what I think this film does well, and uh, not a lot of movies are allowed to do that, it gives sort of you know the life of that climate and the people living there room to breathe on screen. Yeah, I, and I, I think this is not a heavy-handed look at in a caricaturish way in a stereotypical way of, you know, here's the West Bank and it's just all horrible or all all good. It's more a slice of life approach. And when that movie shifts into focus as to, you know, this is the reality of the situation but people still make do of it is also a very interesting kind of somewhat more empathetic without being judgmental or, you know but it does go in that territory later on. But till the time it manages to not do it I don't know it's interesting I don't know look for this opening of this film I actually was thinking I do not like this because it's extremely stylized visually and with the way that it was treating grief against this um, really sort of geometric compositions and God's eye view shots and um, the repetitiveness of the way that Michael's grief is represented on screen we're really less would be more um which it repeats it you know near the end just the the way that grief is depicted throughout i think is a problem but um especially because the film really hinges on it but 
this opening sequence I felt was a little bit smug in Moaz's directorial choices. Just something about it, it felt like, I mean, it makes sense with the direction that the film ultimately ends up going, but it just, just this level of stylization, you know, this style of visual composition combined with watching, watching the pathetic man be sad. I, I just felt somewhat removed from the material for that opening section. But, but I think, isn't that the point that you have to be removed to kind of see that perspective because I think in the initial there was just parts something of the film, about the sensibility you're not you're not siding with me. with the older married couple you know the parents you're not siding with them you're siding with the official narrative and I think uh, I don't that's think what, so I think you you're definitely meant to, or at least I felt like you were meant to I think um, eventually disagree you, with the official narrative you, you even meant to disagree on. with them but like I think in the in the beginning I think it's very clear in that interesting way where hmm. the empathies are not clear cut. Look, later on in the film, when we return back to after we've spent some time in the desert with Michael's son, when we return back to Michael at the end, um, the film is much more directly empathetic and the visual style relaxes to something more conventional, so which suddenly works a lot better. So I think there's just something about what was being communicated visually that I didn't like early on. What, what I felt most interesting, or at least... I felt cheated in some sense was the, the actual reveal of what happened, what really happened to Michael's son, uh, and how that's treated. Yeah, but that's As, that's the very end of the film, so yeah, we can't but, discuss yeah, too yeah, much. Yeah, we're not going to discuss <laughs> like, but but like that's in a way taking away from a lot of the impact and actual sort of gravitas of the film Look, in a very I'd throwaway, like to, I'd like offhand to, joke. I'd like to actually discuss this, so I'd I'd say we'll do a spoiler section when we're done with all the non-spoiler thoughts we have to say. Okay, yeah. but um, yeah, the. Visual stylization, I think, started to come into its own and work really well when we do move to the desert because in that location, it makes sense because we're trying to convey um, the absurdity of the situation. And I think Moez comes up with some pretty striking visuals to convey that. The image that is used as the main promotional picture for the film of... Dancing with the rifle. Yeah, a man dancing with his rifle while in the background there's an ice cream truck with a 1950s airbrushed image of a woman with an ice cream cone and there's a, a camel walking past. It's... it's um, Especially with where it's placed in the film, it really is like, whoa, it, it comes as like a charge to the audience. And after that sequence, th- this is clearly an allegorical kind of location um, it, where it's set in Israel is something Glenn's asked us a few times. And I really don't know somewhere where there's a crossing with Palestine, but I think it doesn't really matter so much as that it yeah. represents um, something to do with the, what having a completely military focused society or highly military focused society does to the Israeli mind in terms of numbing people down. That that I think is the major perspective that's meant to be coming through here. Uh, but they, I think the, and fi- also the dehumanization of it. The fictional location I think is a very interesting choice and one I actually found very, you know, interesting to engage with because in a way it also plays upon the meta narrative what Israel and Palestine are also dealing with. Yeah. With a very fictional promise of their own mm-hmm. land that they're fighting against. So in that sense it does play upon that other very real scenario by placing it in a very fictional thing. Yeah. So, and it does put that in much more starker context. Yeah. Because you suddenly realize, oh my God, you know, that yes, this is not real, but what's also happening today in the real world yeah, yeah, yeah. is also not going towards... You can go with it of, yeah. as if so, it's real in the film. And it, it leads to a, I think, pretty effective metaphor 
about mistreatment of Palestinian people. Yeah, I think, and I think the suggestiveness of this movie is and way more powerful than the actual Yeah, there's a suggestion sometimes. about where that comes from, that just the scenario of endless war leads to dehumanization. But um, the section in the desert has some original imagery of war and military equipment, which at this point, when it's been photographed so many times is really hard to do. So I think Moes deserves credit for that. It go there's a lot of almost David Lynchy images of like lights in the darkness going along long winding roads. Um it has a very surreal dark kind of charge to it. And and I think in it's in a way you you feel like you are trapped in a in a world where you don't know what's real and what's what's not. Yeah, and, that's and I, right. And I think the dehumanization happens because you're unsure if you're in reality. Yeah. And the soldiers are going through that as well. I should be clear that I think this film is very um, in, internalized about um, subjective experience. I don't, this, to be clear to listeners, it's not a movie that just says, um, you know, like war is bad. We shouldn't, um, you know, we shouldn't be at war with Palestine or something like that. It, 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 I think, wisely avoids grappling with that kind of binary thing. Instead, it's more about just the scenario of there being an endless war and what that does to the individual soldiers. And I think towards the end of the film, that comes together very well. Um, it, not as effectively as I feel it could have been, for reasons I'll get into in a moment. But yeah, I'd like to feel how you feel about that, Verrett. I just realized we, we just mentioned our favorite patron of Film Fight Club, David Lynch. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, like, it's that time of the week, guys. Yeah. It's that time so, of the week. I, I'm just thinking of a Terrence Malick reference to complete no, this. you missed it. It's just done. We can move on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, actually, that coming back to Chris is a much more serious point. What I did find interesting, and I think this is where my issue lay with the film, is that those sequences in the desert form part of a very different kind of movie. To what it opens, to, to what it opens sure. with. And I think that opening sequence... Yeah. And one, a, a movie I'd much preferred of the way yeah, that it opens. because the opening parts of the film communicate a much more simplistic and a much more on-the-nose, hardened, and stereotypical yeah. narrative, which the film is not actually about. So yeah. uh, maybe it's the payoff. The lead-up is too long, and you kind of... If you do get sort of, like, annoyed and the eye-rolling intensifies, then you kind of will not stick with the actual yeah. good part of the film, but I, I assure you that if you do it, it does get manage better. to stay <laughs> with with it, eventually there will be a yeah. bit of foxtrotting that you can do. I have uh, I have some issues with the way that the film is structured. It's a little bit, I think, too mechanical and precise, the way that the pieces come to fit together over the course of the film. And some of the symbolism is a little bit broad, but I think it could have been more effective, uh, you know, had it gone for a little bit more... I'm not sure. Um, I would have liked it if we never found out what happened. Yeah. Because that's not the point of the film. That's, that's In a way, I think it cheapens the point of okay, the film. Okay, we'll get to this. We'll get to this. Anyway, we'll get sorry. To this. Yeah, anyway. yeah. <laughs> but, um, but let, yeah, let's stick with the, with yeah. the actual mechanics yeah. of it. Like some of the, yeah, some of the metaphors that come in as we talk about Michael's past and um, connect that to his son, I think are just like a little bit too neat. The whole thing is a li- just feels a little bit too schematic for me, um, but you know overall I think it it is a neat little metaphor that comes together. The problem is that there's nothing in the film in the beginning or even towards the first half which leads you to believe that there is a sensitive, nuanced, and actually original film in those dead sequences that it actually becomes. Mm. So you, when it 
start to morph into this kind of otherworldly experience. You're like, hang on, is this the same movie that I started watching and am I now part of a very different experience? And you almost don't give it credit until it passes you by. And you're like, you have to reassess as you watch. And in a way, you don't give it that much credit because of that experience. Before we give away the ending, would you recommend the film to people listening? Because I know you came in with pretty mixed attitude. Uh, it depends on your tolerance level. Because once again, let's go back to politics. And I feel this is this is the this is the bane of, I think, contemporary movie making and how would movies are being sort of sold to audiences. Is that everything is political? And yet, because of that, nothing is. And I think we don't have movies that are engaging with po- political narratives, which are engaging with politics. W- politics is being shoehorned into movies in a way which is very extrinsic and feels very forced in narratives. And this movie, for example, is a perfectly nuanced, sensitive, and really amazing movie in and of itself, in those set of sequences, I would watch that as an actual... It's the best part of the film. And also, it's the most impactful and already making a political point through those sequences. But because of its zeal and it's trying to convey the message in case you miss it, so in trying to be telegraphing its message so blatantly... I think I agree with you, point. actually. I think the fil- if the film had kind of ended in the desert, I think it would have been more effective. I, th- I actually think... Man, I, I'm tempted to go into spoilers here <laughs> no no but <laughs> like because like, like the thing is what what i think filmmakers are not realizing or maybe this is something that i just noticed is is, is the fact that uh, the narratives today by virtue of existing in our times are already political i'll never forget the opening of king kong skull island which is an action film about a giant gorilla and a bunch of i think dinosaurs and john goodman pulls up a taxi in front of the capitol hill and says and i'm quoting Trust me, there will never be a more screwed up time in Washington. This is set in the 1970s, and this was what bit last year. We see what you did there. Yeah, Black Klansman is very guilty of this as yeah, well. Yeah, but yes. like, at least Black Klansman is trying to be a political film in that sense, you know. Well, Foxtrot's trying to be a political film, right? No, but it's not. But that's the thing. Trying to be a political film and, and actually a political film through and through. Okay, I, feel, very I think we're things. going to have to get into spoilers yes. anyway. um, at this point. I'll just say that. I liked a lot of the dra- uh, dramatic touches of the ending, the the final segment of the film, more than I did the opening, for sure. But I think the film would have been more radical and more interesting if it had trailed off in the desert. And we're about to get into why, so this is spoilers. Spoilers. We're entering spoilers territory. Spoilers, 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 spoilers. Okay, so... Um, so what happens to Michael's son? Yeah. But, da, da, da. But yeah, and before we get to that... Um, <laughs> okay, so basically... I guess we're spoiling yeah, okay, it for the, Glenn. This is the worst build no, no, From now on, this is we're in spoiled territory now. From from here in, I yeah. Think. Okay, I did actually like the way you know the um, scenario with the family that's depicted at the end about where we're left with the the guilt, the endless um, survivor's guilt of Michael, um, and I, I feel like the scenes with his wife and daughter, despite falling into this trap of being very repetitive in the way that grief is depicted, were actually fairly nice on a dramatic level. But man, the film would have been so much more mysterious and interesting if it had left us to ruminate upon the allegorical desert scenes, to make it clear how allegorical they are. You know, this is a film where the main um, location, at least for the desert scenes, is um, a old container 
lying in the middle of the desert, which is tilting and sinking into sand gradually over time. The, you know, that the movie is meant to exist on some kind of symbolic level is 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 very clear. And, and yet, I think it's the worst use of a camel I've seen in any movie. Uh, Virat really wants to talk about the very, very end. So let's, let's <laughs> yeah. go. Uh, look, cause, cause like, honestly, that, that took away... Because I just wanted to throw a shoe at my whatever screen... You know, whether it's a laptop or or trader screen or okay, like. Okay, all right, it's a laptop. We get yeah, it. yeah, you know, whatever. He, has, whatever. he had an official screener. Okay, <laughs> it's not piracy. No, no. Well, the thing is, like, you know, I, I, I literally didn't want. To. Yes, obviously, par- yes, this is correct. And piracy is something we never ever encourage. Thank you. Thank you. This is like I have to redeem myself now. Anyway, but like the thing is, I, I was so so. I was just like, don't do that. Okay. Just don't do it. I, I was okay with it. I think the major problem is um, how badly it's staged. Basically, the way the son actually dies is because when his father is, is calling him back home after getting the scare at the beginning, thinking his son had died when he hadn't actually, um, the, they, the camel that these characters have continually let through the gate that they operate ends up um, being in front of the truck that the uh, that the son is being brought home in, and so they veer off the road, and the car accident kills kills Michael's son. Um, I was okay with it because I thought the point here is that uh, is to make the uh, is to point out, um, I guess, just the absurdity of the whole operation that something unrelated to actual military conflict ends up being once again lost flag flying. Yeah, so you know, to la- similar to this last idea flag that. Because the official line is that you know the, your son died on duty and hence deserves the, those honors, and this is yeah. throwing shade or dirt on this kind of because it narrative. makes the military operation look completely stupid. If to admit that people die for just silly reasons, and not everyone is a glorious hero, which is, which is also in in the sense, if we look back upon history, a lot of those military operations throughout history have been quite botched up operations. So. There, there is a broader political point to be made about this without this kind of blatant camel riding. <laughs> the, the major, I think the the camel riding. I think it was okay. The problem <laughs> is that it's just so badly staged. Yeah, I mean, I could get over the hump, but eventually, you know, I don't know. <laughs> God, no, it's it's it just as the final thing you see at the end of the film when we're in pretty serious, sad territory. It just looks ridiculous. I, I, exa- it's just not exa- convincingly. Exa- exactly. I feel like the direct, smarter directorial choice would have been like, okay, I know we spent all this money staging this, but it just looks so bad. Let's just not leave the audience on but that note. Especially because, like, before that, the the, the lingering image is of that allegorical. Yes. And the tin and the, and the place. And also, the lingering image with which the film makes pain takes pains to make the lingering image through seeing it re- represented in comic book imagery that Michael Sun draws um, is of the innocent Palestinian um, carload of people who end up, due to a misunderstanding, being um, shut up by the, this border crossing team. And then this is covered over. By the Israeli government, but the point is uh, that, that that kind of allegorical I think, I th- image yeah. is is the it's whole strong, and I think the oh, yeah, I agree. The camel the image, the yeah, it's the heart of the film. So I think the camel image just comes to distract from that by replacing us with another absurd image, you know, that um, takes the place of that in the mind. And I think um, I, I get what Moaz was going for, which is that you know they shoot a bunch of people who aren't actually combatants and they die because of a camel. It's um, it, not to glorify the military operation in any way and not to depict any um, actual 
you know, de- defense of Israel going on by the, you know, I, I get that that's his, his intention. Um, but I, I agree with Virat that maybe it's a step too far into silly symbolic imagery in a movie that um, really could have learned that less is more. But, but, but that's the thing, you know, the idea that these movies are already political by what they're trying to explore and going into these territories with actually original imagery when they try not to be something they're not. And a lot of these movies how, how are that you, way. How do you feel like it's trying to be something it's not? Because uh, I think the initial half you know, of the film and, and the last act, is it's trying to convey this kind of heavy-handed sort of underhanded undercutting of the joke it's almost like a marvel narrative where you know something sincere has to be undercut with a joke to make the point with the full stop and the thing is that's not what is effective about this narrative i i, I don't, don't want it to be told with the full stop i'm happy with the comma i'm happy yeah. with like uh, dot, dot, even, dot. yes ellipsis i i don't think that another grammatical device i don't think that moaz was trying to um undercut what um, had happened in the third act. I think he was trying to make it into this broader story about survivor's guilt and how the, this same tragedy keeps repeating since we learn that um, something very similar happened to Michael in his youth um, where he feels like he survived and he, oh, sorry, something didn't similar didn't happen to him, but he there was a situation where maybe he's living with PTSD and survivor's guilt and it, it feels like that's bound to recur. And that's what the Foxtrot of the title's referring to. I think he was trying to bring it home to that. Um, maybe did you see the camel bit as as being uh, the final scene is really like undercutting yeah, sincerity? Yeah, and also like I, I did feel that that could be part of a different kind of film, and then that's the thing. Uh, what I I and for me, what's been the issue with these kind of political films, and that's a very it's a trend which goes back to a lot of movies, is that it really messes with my understanding of the tone and this internal consistency that I kind of wrestle with when I watch a movie because I, I sort of settle down with like okay you know this is where internally I am in in my sort of symbiosis or synthesis with the narrative I do think and then it feels like yeah it tries to shaft that by being like haha gotcha I don't think like, I, 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 look I, I really don't think that that's what Moez was going for but I do agree with you that it feels like the wrong tone to close out on yeah okay if, if that's what it is in, eventually that that's the final image. Maybe that's what just sort messes of with you. With yeah, mind. It just be like because because I think the problem is the promise before that is so immense, and so you know, once I wrestle with the yeah. fact and actually begin to appreciate the movie, the movie once again I feel like, leaves me yeah. with something which look I have to stop appreciating it again because I feel like I, I, I had shifted my narrative to be like internally to say like I'm happy to give this more than like three and a half stars and I then I had to push it back I, to be like no nah, it's two and a half stars I, I, would, I would be happy um, I think leaving it a mystery what happened in the desert or going with the oh, symbolism totally of it's yeah. another landmine yeah. just as what happened to the father but um, I think yeah the fil- it would have been better if the film had ended with the family scenes you know broken people holding each other together. Let, let I think it, it would have been a, just be, a nice, breathe, nice little you know, way to yeah. end in that slice of, of life way where, you know, tragedy happens and people try to live with it, which is what I think the film seemed to be building towards the, for the majority of the runtime. And then in, I agree with you to an extent it undermines it at the very end. Movies are trying too hard to be movies. They're trying to punctuate everything. Movies are trying too hard to be, They are certainly trying very hard to be political, but I think that's but, how they can but relate like, to me generally. It's how they can relate to punctuate. Movies. Like, let it breathe. Let the paragraph 
have its own energy. And I'm living too many literary devices, but like the point is, let the scene have its own energy. And like you know, sometimes that is enough because audiences are smart. We're not dumb. Okay, sometimes we are dumb, but you know. Give us credit sometimes. I can't speak of Foxtrot, but I can say that I went to Jurassic World looking to see dinosaurs doing crazy things, not to hear subtle or not too subtle political commentary. That, is... but then they get eaten. So are we yeah. on a are we on a keep politics out of film rant right no, now? No, yeah. no, 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 no. I, my, my I rant disagree. Is, I think my I rant think is like, be political, but know the film you're making. I I feel yeah, like I'd, the, agree, I'd agree. With look, that. I've been like the, the I feel like the Jurassic World references make perfect sense. Like you know, references to Trump. Um, horror films have always attacked what you know, but is conservative government film? policy or um, liberal government p- policy. In some, if we go back to the fifties, where the the communists were what every giant movie monster uh, not represented. Just, not just yeah, fifties. You know, there's very there's a lot of films that come out that are critical of. Uh, on the left nowadays. Um, certainly the Matthew Vaughan Kingsman films could be read as a oh, yeah, yeah, subtle... Yeah. They have a uh, fairly quite... strong right-wing streak running through them. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, but you know, maybe now the Socialist Democrats are winning things that may be the true horror films of our time. So, who knows? Wow. <laughs> Justin, Justin Trudeau is the new... Um, I don't know. Uh, well, well, but, yeah, I was, I was okay with, with like pretty basic, um, basic comparisons to, you know... Dinosaurs to climate change, etc., in, in Jurassic World. I I don't feel like that's like a, a big betrayal of the audience's investment in in dumb dinosaur action because but, the movie but, still but, delivered but, dumb but dinosaur is, attacks it, in spades. It, it, if anything, it was way too many, to and that be, was a problem with the movie. It's trying to be sort of like post millennial woke in the worst yeah, nah, way. Jurassic World wasn't. Okay, Marvel okay. does that right. with, with scenes like people saying, "Did you know that this? You know, the monument oh, was built Marvel, by, so by slaves." Okay, but here's the thing: look, I you, you know, you, you know, subtle you know, things. Of reasonable, subtle by Hollywood standards, things like we have in Jurassic World, I'm I'm much more okay with. I think that's the way to to insert politics into these kinds of films, working on an allegorical level. Well, actually, on that, you know who's done a climate change allegory exceptionally well without getting it all blatantly or overtly political? Game of Thrones, the White Walkers, and what's happening in the North, and what is essentially Arctic, is a climate change allegory, and they do it without saying this is this is coming. Winter is coming. What a nasty woman was was a bit over the top in Jurassic World. Very much too, so. Yeah. So that is so Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom is in cinemas now. Uh, Foxtrot's also in cinemas now, as is Sicario, Day of Soldado. The politics on the street, movies in the sheets. I don't what? know. Netflix and chill is that what you're getting <laughs> yeah, at here? I think. I no, think. I'm just uh, saying, you know, keep your movies where you're. No, no, no. I'm never going to endorse and keep, keep politics out of movies message. I've got no, to disagree no, with no, you guys. No, no, no. That's where it's no, 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 what I'm saying. Never, never said that. No, uh, my view is very simply that you're making a political film, you're making a political film, but know your audience. People aren't going to Jurassic World for subtle overt political allegories. They may go to Sicario, fairly so. Foxtrot, I haven't seen it. No, but look, but, but, the, but this is the, the power, as I said before, of a lot of horror movie narratives. People go in because like it's going to be about zombies, but then they're surprised, oh, it's actually about an anti-consumerism, anti-capitalist message. Yeah, like, you know, this uh, is like, not you know, new. A, a quiet place. I, I, I agree or, with that. Uh, you know, yeah, whatever. the Dead, etc. Yeah, yeah, same thing. But at the same time, that that's consistent with the genre. And like, you know, that's okay. But at least they know that the kind of movies they're making. Know the movie you're making and eventually don't cheapen it. And when you try to shoehorn it in, it just makes it frustrating and blatant and naked and annoying. I don't feel like Jurassic World actually really shoehorned it in. This would be a better fight. What did we fight about this? Well, we are are right now. I I don't (laughs) feel like Jurassic World shoehorned it in. I feel like it was a fairly, like, it's a fairly neat 
metaphor. You know, we mess with technology, which brings about our extinction. Whoever is climate Trump, change. Whoever, whoever the Trump supporter gets eaten by dinosaurs. <laughs> Trump supporters eaten by dinosaurs. Our moral of the week. So those films are in cinemas now. We'll be back next week talking about all things Ant Man and the Wasp, another 2015 sequel. Hopefully, a better. How one. many things are there, Ant Man and the Wasp? I, I feel like there won't be too much to discuss. I think it'll be like, yeah, all right. Well, and it's gonna be all things skyscraper. So this all is, things, all things skyscraper. <laughs> so this has been Glenn Falkenstein, Chris Evans, and Nehru. Have a wonderful night or day when you're listening to this. Enjoy movies and night and day with Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz. Underrated movie. And tune in next week. It is. It is fun. I'll give you that. Be political. Good night. Good night. Night.